There was a young college couple that had just started dating. And things were going extremely well. The only problem was that uh, the, the young man was extremely diligent about making sure that he was doing everything right by the Bible. And he desperately wanted to kiss this girl, but he couldn't find any justification in Scripture that would allow him to do that. So he diligently began to search the Scriptures to try and find a a verse that would give him authority to do what he, he desperately wanted to do. And he thought he'd finally found it in Romans 16, verse 16. It, it encourages uh, to, to greet one another with a holy kiss. But to make sure, he went to his uh, Bible professor at school and, and asked him just to make sure that he was interpreting Scripture correctly. And after the discussion, the boy left thoroughly disappointed. He couldn't find a reason to use that passage to justify a kiss with this girl after a date. So they went out the next weekend, and as he walked her to the door, he started to to look at her longingly as he did every single time, and he began to to turn around and and tell her goodnight and then leave. But before he could, she, she grabbed him and threw him against the wall and, and laid the biggest wet kiss on him that, that she could possibly lay, lay, lay on him. And he, he comes up for air and he says, wait a minute, book, chapter, and verse. She said, Matthew seven twelve, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. <laughs> now I share that story with you this morning for two reasons. One is that I feel like it's my uh, responsibility to remind the men that Valentine's Day is coming. And you have just a couple of days to, to go out and buy uh, your, the, the love of your life something before you have to, to panic and just walk into CVS and buy the most expensive thing that they, they have in stock that, that day. But uh, so, so I wanted to, to, to offer that kind of PSA uh, service to you. But also, I share the story because of the series of lessons that we are in called For the Love. Because that passage of do unto others, as you would have them do unto you, that, that is a passage that, that Jesus, he says that this sums up the entire law and prophets. Whenever Jesus forms the church, what he says should define them is their love. And that's what this entire series has been about, is looking at at how are we being defined by the way that we live in this world. And each week this year so far, we have begun, as we come, we, we sing, we worship, we open Scripture, we look at the life of Jesus And we also take a moment to reflect on what we are being formed into. At this time, I want to invite you to stand with me. We'll we'll, uh, read. uh, We're not going to sing just yet. We're going to read our verse from uh, two verses from Romans 12, and then remain standing after we read aloud together. And Dusty will continue to lead us in worship. Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The story that I shared at the beginning of service, I, I can really relate to, connect to, because I was, I was raised to, to think biblically. And I, I love the way that I was raised, and I, I don't want you to hear the way that, that, that I talk about some of those things this morning and, and as being a, a, a disparaging uh, remark in any kind of way, because it, it formed who I am. I was taught uh, Bible from a very early age. I was raised in a church that, that, that believed that, that the Bible was the most important book that there have, has ever been written. I grew up participating in uh, Bible Bowl activities and and we would spend months uh, gathered uh, on Sunday afternoons up at the church building studying one book or or a couple of books for months at a time. We would um, print out copies of that, that particular book that we were studying and we would go through and we would highlight any Anything that was a, a reference to a number, we would highlight that in orange. Anything that was a person, place, or a thing, we would highlight that in green. All the quotations, we would highlight in yellow. We had this system of studying everything so that whenever it came to taking the test, we could, when, uh, during the open book, book portions, we could very quickly find the book, chapter, and verse to answer the question. And that was something that, that I needed. It's something that, that I think we all need to, to understand to how to think biblically. But what I wasn't taught, and maybe it wasn't that I wasn't taught it, it was just that, that I was too immature to really understand, was, was how to think theologically. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. I was in my early 20s when... The attack happened on the Twin Towers and the, the Pentagon. And I watched as our country flooded into two different spaces. One space was to churches and seeking to find an answer for what had taken place. The other place was to the military recruitment offices. And I was of an age and where, where that was uh, appealing. But, but as I started to reflect on that, I realized that, that I was already in one of those spaces, but I hadn't been taught how to think about the other space. There are book, chapter, and verses that seem to contradict on, on the way that Jesus or, Jesus or even God talks about wars and, and violence and and what is our role in that? The first full-time preaching job that I had, I wasn't there very long, and I began to uh, be approached by members. One woman that uh, was divorced and had uh, five kids, and, and uh, she was, uh, it, it was a, a, a bitter divorce that she was going through, and she was uh, looking for counseling on, on how to, to, 
to process the divorce, but also to, to find ways of, of co-parenting so that the, the children don't suffer as a result of that. Another family approached me. They had adopted uh, two children that had been uh, abused whenever they were very little. And then uh, after a short period of time, one of the, the, the children uh, confessed to me that the, their stepfather was continuing to uh, uh, or their adopted father was continuing to abuse them. Those were, were cases that, that I didn't have a book, chapter, and verse to go to that, that, that would tell me how to, to live in this particular instance. And my default response whenever I didn't have a, a book, chapter, and verse to, that, that told me I could do this or that I couldn't do this was just to simply disengage, to, to pull back. And, and that, that didn't suffice in those instances. Jesus was confronted by people that were trying to trap him into thinking biblically. They wanted to know, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus asks for a coin. He looks at the coin for a moment and then refuses to engage at their level and flips the coin back to them and says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. That was a, a very theological statement that Jesus was making as he's looking at, at who God is and the trajectory that God is moving this world to and says this is the way that you engage in the world. And as a result, it was a, a deeply political statement because inscribed on the coin that he had been handed were the words, in Caesar we trust. Caesar is Lord. And whenever he refused to engage in that argument, he was telling them that he has a kingdom. This, the same way that he would speak to Pilate later, that he has a kingdom, but it's not of this world. And it doesn't mean that, that it's not political. It's deeply political. This Throughout this series, I've been encouraging us to try and think not just biblically but to think theologically to take a step back and and not just look for a book chapter and verse but but as we engage with culture or as we engage in political discourse to think about who God is what he has done for us and what that means about how we live in the present day and time the foundation of our study has been from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as Paul has been, been writing uh, about what, what Jesus has done and the hope that we have of the resurrection. And he says that because of that, we think differently about people. We see ourselves differently, and it forces us to engage in the world differently. This is how he says it, in ver starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For He says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This morning, as we draw this study to a close, I want to return to Paul's words here, his encouragement in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and to, to focus in on his, his metaphor that he, he uses to describe who we are in this world. In verses 19 and 20, he uses the language that we are Christ's ambassadors. I want us to, uh, I just want to share with you three thoughts on what it means that we are Christ's ambassadors. The first is that it means that we are sent as representatives to a foreign land. In high school, the church that I grew up at started going on mission trips up into uh, Montana. I remember one year, my, uh, some of my sisters went on the, the mission trip as well, and, and we went to, to go and, and uh, help a small church uh, fix up their building, uh, clean up their community, and to, to invite some of the, the surrounding community to come to church there at that, uh, at, at that gathering place. Engaged in conversation with uh, some of the young people that were there. I don't remember exactly the, the topic that came up that day, but, but it was something that for those of us that grew up in Oklahoma, it was just, it was common sense. It was common knowledge to us. But, but to those in Montana, it, they, they'd never heard of, uh, of that concept before. And one of my sisters looked at them as if they were completely stupid and said, have you guys not had Oklahoma history yet? <laughs> now, my sister isn't ignorant. She, she just ha had a moment and was pretty young at the time. And she didn't think about that they are living in a, in a different context. And so they have been taught different things. Whenever Paul says that we are Christ's ambassadors, he is implying that you have been sent into foreign territory. We have enjoyed a feeling for a very long time in this country of being at home here. Like we as Christians 
have home field advantage. But whenever we understand the concept of being an ambassador, we should not be surprised when others don't espouse the same beliefs or values. We should not be shocked or offended because of the way that they live or the way that they talk. Because they have been given a different set of values because they are native to this land. Second thought about being an ambassador is that we have been sent with an allegiance to the king. Philippians 1 verse 27, Paul says that above all, you are to live as citizens of heaven and conduct yourselves in a worthy manner or a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul is, is writing to this church in Philippi that is a military outpost. And so he's using this language that they are familiar with and he's saying, you are citizens, not of Rome, but of heaven. And regardless of what happens in your life, live with your allegiance to heaven. Everyone has a noun that defines them and an adjective that, that describes them. Too many of us have allowed Christian to become an adjective. That we are Americans first. And we've talked about throughout this series how easy it is to, to begin to, to, to think that, that we are we, our allegiance is with the king, but really what we are doing is trying to get the king on our agenda. Just think about what you pray about. I read a survey that indicated that Christians in America, that more Christians pray that they would win the lottery than that they would win their neighbor to Christ. Which begs the question, where is our allegiance? The Barna Group just finished a, a lengthy study looking at, at millennials, those that, that were born in the, the 80s and 90s. And, and by and large, the, the millennial Christians, they believe that, that there's nothing better that can happen to somebody than come to faith in Jesus. But almost half of them believe that there's something morally wrong with sharing their faith with another person. My fear is that whenever I share that with you, that you just hear that and say that's another thing that's wrong with young people today and continue to go back home and not love the person that lives next door to you. It's very easy to make comfort and the pursuit of the American dream our highest value and pursuit rather than our allegiance to the king. Thirdly, 
Being an ambassador of Christ means that we have been sent with the message of reconciliation. What the world needs, what the city of Amarillo needs is more men and women who for the love of Christ, whenever they go to the diner or the coffee shop every morning, they have more to offer than their complaints about what's going on in California or Washington, D.C. But they have something to offer of love and hope because of their faith in Jesus Christ. What we need is, is more men and women that, that put on their white collars and they, they go to work in the business world. And they, they make their pursuit not the, the next promotion or not becoming rich, but blessing other people. What we need is more men and women that, that walk through the hallways of our, our schools and gyms and athletic centers that view the win not as a trophy or not as a graduation rate, but as looking at that student and telling them that they are worthy of love. Because no one hears that enough. What we need in this city is more men and women that look at their child, their grandchild, their niece, their nephew, every time that they see them. And for the love of Christ, don't just look at them and tell them that the world is in front of them and one day they will make a difference in this world. But instead, we'll tell them that they are a child of God and that makes all the difference in the world. What we need is more men and women who are committed to pursuing the missio day or the mission of God. Paul pleads that people are reconciled to God. And he says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, and that new creation is an ambassador. You are a representative to this world, making that same plea that they would be reconciled to God. And the question that I, I'm, I'm trying to pose to you this morning, and that what I'm hoping that you are starting to see, is that this series, this study, is, is not just about politics. It's not just about the way that we engage with, with Facebook or social media, but it's about who you love and how you love them. When Jesus was asked, who it is that we are supposed to love. He tells a story where the person who is in need has been stripped of every identifying mark. They don't have clothes. They're, they're lying uh, bleeding face down. You can't tell if they're a Jew. You can't tell what kind of work they do. You can't tell what neighborhood they live in. You cannot identify anything about them. And his point at the end of the story is, whoever you are around, do whatever you can to love them.
And he doesn't just say to this man that asked the question, what I want you to do is go and think like this. What he says is go and do this. There was a young woman that was sitting or standing at the sink, washing dishes, staring out the window. When she began to think that there has to be something more to life than this. When her husband got home, all he found was a note. She had left him and the kids. She still called once a week to check on the kids. And at the end of the phone conversation, he would beg her to come home. And she would refuse. After a few months, the husband hired a private investigator to find out where she was. Found out that she was staying at a hotel not far from their house. He went and bought some flowers. Drove to the hotel. He'd he'd rehearsed exactly what he was going to say. Knocked on the door. She opens the door to see him there standing with the flowers and she begins to break down into tears. And before he can say anything, she looks at him and says, let's go home. And so they do. After time passes and their relationship starts to get to a little better place, the husband finally gets the courage to ask the question, why she decided to come home after all those months, all those phone calls when he begged her to come home and she refused. Why that day did she come home? She looked at him and said, before you told me that you loved me. But that day, you showed me. First John chapter 3. Verse 16 says that this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave His life for us so we should give our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Suppose someone has enough to live and sees a brother or sister in need but does not help. Then God's love is not living in that person. My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. For the love of Christ. What I want you to see more than anything this morning is the love of Christ. John began by saying that this is how we know what love is. Not that God said the words, but that He came for you. That He came and and He sacrificed Himself for you so that you can be reconciled to invite you home. And we invite you home this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Some of our shepherds will be at the back of the worship center. I'll be at the front. And if you'd like to come into the love of Christ, we invite you to come as we stand to sing together.